Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 93. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how our purity has never been about what we can do, but what God can do for us. And I'm Todd, and I'm going to be our timekeeper today, just like that. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. taking the time glad to be here with you today yeah it's i'm excited for this episode this is a fun one yeah um we're still staying within our handle with care series but this will be heavily driven actually completely driven by questions that have been submitted through our series survey absolutely and if you haven't taken it yet you can take it by texting the word survey to six four five six seven. Still time to get questions in prior to next week's episode. But this week's episode, we're going to address five questions that we uh, pulled out from that survey. Um, just looking for different topics and things like that that we hadn't covered or that people had follow-up questions on. And uh, there were a ton of questions that came back in this survey related to marriage, uh, infidelity, and pornography. But we're going to kind of table those, shelf those for next week when you and I will be back on. And uh, we'll talk about those because they'll have a lot more to do with what we're talking about this upcoming weekend. That's right. Um, but for this one, we're going to focus on some things that were clearly asked in the wake of Heather's testimony. Mm-hmm. Man, she just did such a great job this weekend. I appreciated her having the courage to share that. And um, man, I think... How could that not be encouraging to so many people who have been through situations like that? It's the power of testimonies is to be able to say, man, I've, I've been there, whether you've been to the same spot or not, I've been there and this is what the Lord's done through it. And uh, so I was thankful for her sharing there. She did an amazing job and I'm so grateful for not only her story like you just said, but even her ability to share it. Yeah. And God has used her in so many different ways, even prior to this weekend. So it was great for our church family to get to hear what God can redeem when sex is destructive. Yeah. And uh, knowing ourselves, knowing that this could get out of hand really quickly, (laughs) trying to cover these questions, we're going to lay down some ground rules. Okay. It's going to be a different episode of Tangible Takeaways. We're going to take on five questions, but the rules are that after I ask the question, you're going to set a five minute timer. I got the timer. And once that goes off, it's done. We're moving on to the next Next question. So that's going to keep us moving here. This is a lot of discipline we don't usually Otherwise, have. Otherwise, this is going to be a two and a half hour episode of Tangible Takeaways. So um, we'll start here. I've got a couple questions that I think are coming out of some things from this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just get into, uh, I'll, I'll give you an overview of some of the themes. So we've got uh, abuse and infertility as kind of our opening questions. And then we've got a couple of questions related to homosexuality. That was a large theme that came back from the survey. And then a final question about purity. Uh, so I think it'll be a great conversation today. Uh, first question is this, uh, what is the biblical stance on those who have been abused sexually? So here we go. Timer start. On the clock. Well, I think we would just see, and uh, you know, abuse has all kinds of forms. So I would even put all of these in that same category that God's design for our lives is that we would be people who would not only love others, but be loved in return and treated in these ways of, excuse me, just a basic humanity towards each other. So when someone is on the receiving end of any kind of abuse, sexual is what we were talking about this weekend, then we would see that person as someone who, and I appreciated Heather's balance. She said there were some things that she did 
to get into that situation that she realized my 14 year old plan went wrong, but my 14 year old plan was wrong to go. I'm just going to, you know, get drunk at someone else's house. But her culpability ended there to be able to separate that. Yeah. And I love the way she was able to articulate that. I was not responsible for being raped and she's totally not. So we'd see people being that as, as those who were treated unjustly and sinfully by other people. And they in no way are culpable, have, um, any due, um, responsibility in that. Yeah. I would, I would think about different, um, verses like, uh, speaking about the Lord's vengeance, right? We even had that in the notes this weekend. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And this ultimate justice that we, I mean, you look at Revelation, right? The This really ultimate kind of view of the fact that God will ultimately bring everything to balance and to yep. his holy standard. And so there's a confidence, I think, forwardly for those who have been abused. Um, but then I also think about you know, the Psalms do a really good job of elevating God as a safe place, as a place of safety, security, shelter. Um, It just so clearly shows that abuse, which obviously is having the exact opposite effect, you feel unsafe. And it's so clearly not his design. And so I think no matter what we experience in these relationships, we can still find that in our relationship with God. There's something that's built in there. Yeah. No, that's so good. Those are great references to think of. And I think of biblical narratives where when people were sexually assaulted, people did take it into their own hands. I think of the Tamar situation Mm -hmm. and her brothers completely were wrong in their seeking of justice back to not allowing God to have justice in life and in eternity. But then I also think of in David's own household, one of his daughters was raped by one of her half brothers and David did nothing. Mm. And so you have interestingly, biblically, both extremes. Both are wrong. Yeah, Yeah. Taking justice in my own hands to avenge or idly standing by and hoping it goes away. Yeah. And both of them were deeply wrong. And as a result, there's a wake of challenge that and of consequences that happen when we sin outside of those bounds. And it's a, such a good question because there are so many instances that it feels like God is quiet or mm. too quiet given mm. what we just read in the previous verses. But then at the same time, you have to take into account the the law and the way that God protects and provides for the oppressed and the marginalized and those who would easily be taken advantage of, whether, again, in any form of abuse, sexual, verbal, physical, there's this protection built into the law that God is going to provide and care for these marginalized people in society. And so God has deep care for that. And, um, and man, I, I think it's, it's easy probably being on this side of it to say, trust him to avenge, um, but I think that's the only place biblically that we can find refuge and safety and security is that he ultimately is Lord of history. He's holding these things together yeah. and, um, and it's up to him. It's not up to me. And I would encourage you if you're have been through some form of sexual abuse, sexual assault, or if you know someone who has our notes can still be found on our website for this last weekend. So many great scripture references about God being that stronghold, about the fact that authorities are in place for a reason, about the fact that it isn't ours to avenge, but to let God, because he's 
completely just, completely knowing nothing is unseen to him and letting him be the one who brings judgment to that. Yeah. So um, I just encourage people watching those resources there for a reason, to be encouraged from scripture, but also to have then those websites, uh, different books, those would also be great to check out and be able to have, find a source of help. Yeah. Woo, right it. on the dot. Right on it. I felt us moving there. I, <laughs> that was that was quick. I felt the pressure. Uh, the next one is, uh, what does the word say about infertility? Yeah. You know, it's fascinating when we were putting these questions in order, I was thinking about that. I was, um, I'm preparing for something else in the life of Samuel and thinking back to Hannah, his mom, and how impressive she is as a character in scripture is found in the first Samuel one. And she's crying out to God, her, she's, um, unable to have children at that point. The Bible uses so many different, um, kinds of phrases or language, but always like a couple, cause sometimes obviously infertility might not be on one or it could be on both, but it isn't necessarily just always the guy or always the husband or always the wife. But the reality is, is that the Bible will use language like, and, and either God specifically closed that womb, didn't allow a child to be born, or sometimes God in terms of judgment of nations, never usually an individual, is says you're, you will be barren. So I mean, there's these fascinating things, but the point is God is the, the factor. So for us to look purely through the lens of science yeah. or medicine, we have so much more scientific data, totally, but to not consider how God, again, back to his sovereign plan and knows there's something interesting about that, that in the Bible, God is a very active force within that. And other times like Samuel's story and God opened the womb. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating thing that I think often, and that can probably lead people down one of two paths, either to be encouraged God knows and our struggles. And by the way, the reason even this question is so powerful, it's part of Heather's story. Yeah. Not initially, but later on in her marriage with Tommy, being able to have kids became a real challenge. And so, I mean, again, Heather has so many powerful things about her, her story and her trusting in God. But, but for people like them, it's difficult. It's, it's heart-wrenching. But there can be this awareness, God knows and he's not forsaken us, even though we are so frustrated and just so sad that we can't move forward with children ourselves. I think for others though, it could go in a different direction where they could even feel oppressed or even like God's judging me or God is you know, um, condemning me mm. or us to not have kids because God's so actively involved, right? Mm. His active involvement can cause people to go either direction. And so I would just say to those who are feeling as though they're under the condemnation of God, the only time I could ever say that with any certainty is when I would look back into a biblical passage and say, and God caused this womb to be closed or God caused him to not be able to have children. And outside of that, I think everything else is just conjecture. I don't really know, though we believe God's, you know, intimately involved with every detail of our lives, including being able to have children or not. The reality is, is that I, I can't know that that is somehow a judgment or I've done something wrong and this is a consequence unless God clearly communicates that. And mm. I just wouldn't be able to tell someone that's it. Instead, I would want to say, but realize God is deeply involved in the fabric 
of what is going on every part of your life, including your ability or inability to have kids. Yeah, it comes up so much in the Old Testament. It would be hard to not say that there's something thematic about infertility in the Old Testament. And to me, there's some like really kind of common themes that stand out. One is it was always the woman's fault, which science today actually, I think, for the ladies who feel that so deeply today, it's like, man, can you imagine living in the Old Testament mm -hmm. where it was exclusively, it was her failure. It could have been his problem, but it was her, yeah. it was her problem. Uh, and that was kind of worn by the woman and it created this opportunity that was before her to either respond in this kind of growing in depth of faith in her life or to become embittered by it. And you see those two routes really take yeah. clear shape in people's stories and lives. Hannah, a great example of someone who responds in faith. And she despairs, She there's tears filled through the whole thing. It's not this perfect story, but it is this response in faith of, no, I trust that God is sufficient and I trust that he's the one who's going to bring this together, not yeah. me. And then you've got somebody like Sarah in Genesis who's mm -hmm. like, this is ridiculous mm -hmm. and there's no way. And I'm, I've just, you know, resigned to this barren life. Yeah. And so you have these kind of different responses that it brings out in people. And yet, interestingly, even in Sarah's story, God is still faithful. Yeah. It proves his faithfulness regardless of our response when she responds poorly. And so I think shifting it, though it's an emotional thing, no doubt, but being able to shift it to say there is something of biblical proportions happening. How can I respond in faith? Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, next one. Uh, we're doing good so far. We are. Um, how should we respond when asked about HDC's position on acceptance slash welcoming of people who identify as LGBTQ plus? Great. Here we go. You got five minutes. Five minutes. Um, well, the good thing is, on the one hand, I really appreciate Pastor Tom put work into a, a concise statement to this effect. So this isn't something even new or like, well, let's, I don't know, what should, what would we say? We actually, Pastor Tom did the work to demonstrate that. And I can sum it up. I don't have it in front of me, but I can summarize. And it basically comes back to, this is part of the problem. The question's great, no, no doubt about that. But it's almost like, what would be HDC's stance to a couple who are living together? What would be HDC's stance to um, someone who is thinks that uh, friends with benefits is a way that I can just live and be involved a guy sexually? With a pornography addiction. Yeah. What I mean to be this. The point is, I hope that our approach to anything out, outside of God's design would be similar on every front. And this is part of the problem. We talked about one of the weeks in the series, we tend to elevate, and, and maybe part of it is all those other groups don't have a strong advocacy mm. for them. That kind of creates almost this tension and frustration. Yeah, so that that's fair, that could be why. But I just want to create that, because I think that's the appropriate level playing field. Anything outside of God's design, we should put in that same category. It should be the same response. And the, the good news is for so many people, there, there is a, a way to be involved, a way to participate, a way to even be confronted about my sin and not yet be said, but you're not involved and you can't be here. Imagine all those groups that would have maybe that same stigma and like you can't be here. So that's not at all our attitude or posture. It is 
We want every single person who, no matter how close they are in their walk with the Lord or how far away, we would want them and they're welcome on the weekends to come to worship services and begin to maybe understand who is this God who created them? Who is this God who has a plan for their life? Who is this God who is also holy in the midst of their reality of being sinners? And how does all that play out? So we would say every single person is always welcome to be involved and engage in a weekend worship service. How people get involved beyond that, there's always areas of of what we would expect for someone in a small group. What would you expect for someone getting baptized? What we'd expect for someone who's serving? We have a list of um, expectations for all those things. And those would be kind of then case to case as someone would follow that out. But the reality is we really believe that the gospel is that transformative thing that God uses to change every single person from the inside out, whether they are living in an LGBTQ plus lifestyle, whether they are living in any other way outside of redemption that God has for them. Yeah, I think that's such a clear distinction to draw. You can be saved and not be on the same page with us on this. Mm -hmm. But as far as your involvement in things beyond the weekend, those things are going to get increasingly more challenging the deeper you get because there is something that binds a church together, which is this core group of beliefs and doctrines that we hold to. And the, the idea is that faith is a journey, right? Yeah. So you might not be there day one of giving your life to Christ, but over time as you're sanctified, as you come to become more confident in the authority of Scripture and God's Word, and you want to live your life under it and according to it, the more that that grows in your life, that should begin to change the things that you're convicted about, the things that you're okay with. And all of us, whether we have any history or background with the LGBTQ plus temptation, all of us have that piece to our story where we have grown to call things sin that we didn't call sin on day one when we confessed our need for a savior. So that's true for all of us. So man, can you belong to the body of believers Yes, but your involvement from there is going to become challenging because those areas of belonging are also tied to agreement around some things to say, we affirm these things. We're about this. And I don't think that's super unique to a church. I think that's how most things are. Our culture is trying to move away from that. That's how most organizations or anything is gathered together is with this core set of we're kind of about these things and the churches I think should be the primo example of that because we're really clear on what we're about and what we're what we believe and so the goal isn't and the expectation isn't that you're there day one but the goal is and the expectation is that you'll get there that's great good job landing spot five minutes Yeah. yeah um Okay, uh, here's, I'll give you two questions. They're presenting very similar situations, but it was along this idea of homosexuality, things like that. Um, How do, here's one question, how do we as grandparents deal with our grandson who's in a homosexual relationship? Another person asked, how do I set a compassionate boundary line with a gay or lesbian couple? I thought that was a great, the compassionate boundary Mm -hmm. line. I thought that was an interesting way to say that. Uh, So, Five minutes. Here we go. There we go. Five minutes. You know, I think, again, these are, um, I want to in some ways keep bringing us back to 
how do I have a relationship with my grandson who is sleeping with his girlfriend or cohabitating with a with a female I want to bring it back to how do we have good compassionate boundaries for people who are involved in other areas pornography whatever of sexual sin and and I, I want to keep Let's bringing us back to the that. hot button issue yeah because I just feel like and I, and I so appreciate the questions and we're not going or doing an end run but I just want to keep bringing us back to I think sometimes in the big C church we have so branded this type of deviation from God's design is so different and distinct we just keep putting it in its own category yeah and I want to keep coming back to maybe in some ways maybe even a better nuance to each of those questions what do I how do I respond to someone and we were just talking about this in a meeting we were both in how do I respond to these issues for someone who is not a believer and is involved in a homosexual lifestyle or having these compassion boundaries or someone who is because mm. that's one of the things we talked about today is it's that different levels of accountability though. yeah because we we used to think that the issue of the lgbtq plus lifestyle was an us them meaning christians don't operate that way think that way so everyone over here must not be a follower of jesus but there is this growing middle of people who would say, no, I, I, love I love Jesus and I think my lifestyle is validated in the Bible. So I even have an authority of scripture. And so that would almost be to me one of the bigger questions back to the first two, because I'm thinking in other areas of life where someone doesn't have a relationship with Christ, Am I continuing to hold them to the standard that they're a believer, that they're a believer and they should be functioning like I'm am called to, even though I think every human being is so called to God's design, there's the reality of what back to that keyword of accountability. What am I holding them accountable to? And what does God's word hold me accountable to as a believer, whether it changes drastically as I interface, if they're a believer or an mm -hmm. unbeliever. So I kind of think that's, that's a key part, right? To answering that question is the thing we don't know from the question is a, a believer grand, a believing grandson or this other example, are those people followers of Christ or not? And, and then I think as we break it down, then it's asking those questions can I have a relationship? And I had a great conversation with a mom of a same sex lifestyle son we talked about after week one. And she just said, Todd, I, I've even been tempted to want to change my theology mm. to accommodate my son's lifestyle, but I just can't. I look at scripture and I cannot believe this is what God would is best, his best for my son. And so as a result, her, her response was, so he obviously knows where we stand. He grew up in a Christian home, was even involved in ministry for years himself. But it's not a question of if he understands what we believe, he knows that clearly. Our goal now is to say, how do we continue to love you as our son, even though you're living apart from what we believe is God's best for you? Yeah. Yeah. How do I? It shifts, right? When we're in the non-believer zone, how do I be winsome to you, right? That's my that's my goal with all non-believers when we're in the believer zone it's like okay do, am i in a position of authority with you do i have relational equity with you um, because if the answer to either of those things is yes then i am accountable in some way shape or form to lovingly rebuke push back correct discipline if i'm not in those categories 
I should probably leave it to the people that are, or yeah. I should get to know you better first. Sure. And I want to pick one of those because I think the problem is you've got way too many people who say, oh, I'm part of this LGBTQ plus group and I'm a believer. And then you've got people who don't know them from Jack who are trying to come in and correct and rebuke and discipline. Yeah. And it's like, well, are you in a position of spiritual authority or do you have relational equity? If the answers to those are yes, then it's like, okay, well now let's walk through some passages. Let's tell me how you got there and let's open up this dialogue. Again, that's not going to be this like, you're wrong, you suck, you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. But it's this, hey, let's open this up and let's let God's word be the authority in our lives yeah. because now I'm in that position. But I think the majority of positions that you could be in, probably 75% of these situations are going to be, how could I be winsome? How could I get to know you better? Yeah. That encapsulates a large majority of those situations. Yeah. Good job. Woo. We're on a hot streak here. <laughs> uh, last one here is um, it was in a response to a question. Are there topics you wish that we talked more about in this series? And uh, the person responded purity, especially as it relates to young adults. Let's Five go. minutes. Yeah, let's hit the clock. Because of your ministry and you are a young adult, why don't you take the lead on that one? Yeah, so I would say I, I love that this question got asked because um, I have grown up in church through the um, era or the repercussions of purity culture, and there's been a huge backlash to that probably in the last two to three years. There's been this really, um, I think, costly backlash because it's not it's been, hey, purity culture was bad, which there were a lot of things that weren't working well in the purity culture movement. Can you real quick, and we'll even go along yeah, yeah, yeah. five, we need to define a little bit of purity culture, because I think for the person maybe not either familiar with the term or haven't grown up in a church context, they might not even know what you're referring to. Yeah, heavy emphasis on your sexuality prior prior to marriage, right? So don't have sex before marriage. Abstinence. Abstinence, honest. purity rings, mm -hmm. right? Like that kind of whole movement to it. And, uh, and a really kind of big emphasis on uh, the consequence of if you screw up prior to marriage, it's going to change you. It's going to alter you forever. No one's going to want you. Those kind of, you know, really almost fear tactics, fear tactics to them. And so heart behind the movement and we want young people it was really moving through youth groups stuff like that we want young people to adhere to what god's word has to say and we want them to enjoy the benefits of living god's best for them that's the heart behind the movement lots of broken tactics i think along the way but what's happened over the last two to three years is hey those tactics sucked the church is like yeah we agree that wasn't the best tact but then it's like, so the whole movement's gone. We throw out every ethic associated with it as well. So now it's kind of this wide open door. Mm -hmm. And that's what really has kind of swept through in the last few years, which is concerning because we're getting rid of some really important biblical ethics just because there were some bad tacticianers mm -hmm. throughout the eras of this yeah. kind of purity culture. And so um, in reaction to it, I think we have to come to a truly biblical and theological understanding of what purity is, what the Bible says purity is, where I can ever even hope to find purity. I really believe going through scripture, if I were to live my life seeking to be pure based on where I landed sexually prior to marriage, I would show up just as dirty rags before the Lord and my purity would be nothing. 
because purity in scripture has never been tied to virginity. There's been connections in the Old Testament to she was a virgin, she was pure, or things like that prior to marriage, but it has never been the, virginity has never been the basis of purity. And it's always been this idea of atonement, of, of bloodshed um, on my behalf because I'm already to begin with not pure. So yeah. I start in this impure state. And that, that was a key phrase on my behalf. So meaning purity was always outside of myself. Yes. Nothing I could manufacture. Nothing I could bring on my own. Mm -hmm. And so I, I plead Jesus for my purity, which means great news. If you had sex before marriage, you can still find purity in Christ. If you lived a homosexual lifestyle before, you can still find purity in Christ. If you've had a pornography addiction, you can still find purity in Christ. All things that the fear tactics did not give confidence to. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you should just go try and live those things out, right? Like this Back rejection. To Paul, to, you know, it's like, does sin increase grace? Like, no, that's no. never, this doesn't become a license for anything. Yes. But, but this is the beauty of the gospel yeah. is that my purity is found in him and in him alone. Yeah. And so... I think if I can take the, for lack of maybe a better term, if I can take the pressure off of virginity in that premarital state, not to say I don't value it or I'm not trying to keep my virginity, but to say that was never the basis of why God loves me, values me, where my purity was ever going to be found. Like there was something so prized about that while I'm just a morally decrepit person already to begin with. So it's like so backwards to even think that that was my saving grace. If I can take that pressure off, then it begins an opportunity to ask the question, well, why would I stay a virgin? What would be the effort. And I think you have to come to the conclusion that you care about what God has to say about how you live your life. And you either come to that conclusion prior to marriage or you come to it after. So if you want to live this kind of sinful, outside of God's design um, lifestyle and pursue sex outside of marriage, you're going to have to reconcile at one point in your life. Now it's just on the other side of marriage. Do yeah. I believe what he says? Because now Adultery is going to be on the table in marriage. Mm -hmm. Do I really believe what God says? That that's of no benefit for me and that it's sinful, it's going to cause harm because I didn't, I didn't exercise faith over here in that. Oh, that was a long five minutes. That was good. I didn't exercise faith in that over here in this category prior to marriage. But now on the other side of marriage, I'm going to have plenty of opportunities. It's not like marriage is this magic threshold that now you can live however you want. Yeah. There's so many in your finances, in your sexuality, in the way that you interact with each other. There's going to be so many instances and needs for faith in trusting God the way that he's designed things to yeah. be better than the way I Not want just to like, let's get you married off. Yeah. You know, and now, it's like, now we figured it out. Now we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's great. I took up all the time. No, I wanted you to because I, I think the question was really aimed not only in your life stage, but at the people as you lead our young adults ministry. There's lots that you have to say on that, which is great. Yeah. No, this has been fun. Mm -hmm. We should do five we'll minutes. We'll do this again next week. So <laughs> we'll see if uh, we still like it then or not. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, man, thank you so much for tuning in this week on Tangible Takeaways. Don't forget to fill out the series survey. That's survey to 64567 if you want to fill that out to ask questions for next week's episode. Uh, but that's all we have for this week. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways. Mm -hmm.